Robots are great, robots are chill. Teach them to love, teach them to kill. What if we taught them to think for themselves? Let's watch a movie and find out. Hello everybody and welcome back to the sixth installment of the BotCast. I am Jordan Cruciola, your co-host. And I'm Margo. And she's Margo Carlson, uh, co-host of the pod. We are, we're delving, we touched a bit on cyborgs before. Mm -hmm. Yes, we did. We had shades of cyborg in iRobot, but we're going full cyborg in this installment of the podcast. What are we talking about today, Margo? Jordan, we are talking about Paul Verhoeven's RoboCop Mm -hmm. 1987. And this is your second Verhoeven experience. Yes, you the bro- first being Benedetta in theaters with you, Jordan Cruciola. Honestly, it's hitting me now how appropriate this is as a one-two punch, because we went from very gay Paul Verhoeven to robot Paul Verhoeven. Yes. Really couldn't have been two more appropriate Paul Verhoeven movies for me to have experienced with you in your yes. inaugural American runs. versus European Paul Verhoeven. Very much so. Very much so. Um, action versus psychosexual. Yeah, action versus psychosexual. I think he, he has talked about, Paul has talked about that he sees like a Jesus parable, though, in RoboCop. Oh, he comes back. Yeah, he yes. sees him as like the risen Jesus in a way. That's very interesting. And obviously, Benedetta. So I, I would imagine <laughs> Paul Verhoeven sees Jesus in everything profane yeah i I feel like that's kind of his thing that feels right yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't doubt that but um so just uh foot view thoughts what do you think of your first paul verhoeven 80s action movie phenomenal amazing it was great i loved uh i loved almost everything about it (laughs) great great because i and i like to because you know i grew up on this stuff but i don't want to assume anybody else is going to have the emotional reaction to it that i did right because it's like listen it's been a while you don't have to fucking think this is great, great stuff. Right, right, right. But, like, it's cool if you do. But at the same time, like, it's been a long time. It's great, though. It's okay. funny. It's clever. It's tongue-in-cheek. It's violent in a delicious way. I think there are still few... I think there are actually still few filmmakers who have a better sense of humor than Paul Verhoeven, for my money. Yeah, seriously. I, there were moments in the, uh, like, the ad sequences when I was reminded. <laughs> yeah. And the, uh... I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Where I was reminded of the sense of humor of Boots Riley. Mm, okay. Uh, in Sorry to Bother You. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I sort of was like, wow, I, I had no idea. It's fun watching like a um, an original text from mm-hmm. um, a genre artist who other people are always riffing on. Right, I'm yeah. I'm sure that those are, that like that the mo- those moments in Sorry to Bother You were in part inspired by mm-hmm. some of these moments in RoboCop, for example. It is It is insane to think about what the like, two-headed dragon of Paul Verhoeven and David Cronenberg yes. hath wrought. Yes. After, I mean, their whole careers, but, like, the the decade of dominance that they had in terms of, like, sensibility and aesthetic and tone and style that, that they did in the 80s. I love when you talk about this, because I am so oblivious to that type <laughs> of cinema history. It's, I mean, I was talking today with friends about David Cronenberg and we just kept listing like, oh, this is the one I like best. This is the one I like best. I was like, Jesus Christ, we've just listed off a lot of bangers. Yeah. And he still has more bangers, baby. And Paul Verhoeven is fucking, Benedetta's really good. Yeah. And like Benedetta, it like, you know, it brought its its share of conversation around it and Elle 
before Benedetta is a phenomenal and extremely challenging story of uh, a drama, a story of sexual assault, a dark comedy. And it's like, wow, this guy is just, he has not taken his foot off the gas in like 40 years. What an icon. What an icon. What an icon. And Murph, RoboCop. Yeah. What an icon. What? Truly, what a queer icon. Queer icon Babadook. Queer icon <laughs> Robocop. Queer icon Ed 209. Ed 209. Oh, Ed 209 may be the gayest thing about Robocop. Certainly. There was just something there. It's because he's camp. He's <laughs> doing drag. He's doing robot drag the whole movie. Ed, if Ed, if Ed could talk. Ed would be like, I wasn't even supposed to be here today. <laughs> like, Ed Ed is like, oh, God, I'm purpose-built for this thing. But it just doesn't have anything to do with me, really. It's mostly just my job. It's not really my passion. Ed, Ed when Ed does talk, all he says <laughs> is... You now have 15 seconds to comply. You are in direct violation of Penal Code 113, Section 9. You now have five seconds to comply. Ed, or of I'll course, shoot you two down. Yeah, and of course, being the like adat esque robot gun machine. Yes, that walks pre RoboCop, completely non anthropomorphic. Yeah. Roomba, basically yeah. machine guns, <laughs> military Roomba. Um, the you know the Boston Dynamics dog. The, the Boston Dynamics dog, pretty much literally exactly what the Boston Dynamics, Dynamics dog, although could get up off the ground on its back. Yes, Ed. Ed a little humorously cannot gun shy around stairs. Oh my god, that sequence is so cute. It's so cute. He's so such a charming little guy. It's and like, when he falls on his back. It's, it's like so when a cat cute. is on something high and it wants to go to the next thing that's really high, but that next thing is like the top of a door. Right. It's like so it's really skinny and they're like, it. fuck. Like <laughs> this this could go so wrong, but like they want to get there. <laughs> Very tepid and insecure. Um we we talked a bit. Of course, in the iRobot episode about the difference between robots and cyborgs. Yes. But what is this? Is there anything to say additionally yeah, about so, the difference between robots and cyborgs you want to put in here? Thank you for asking. Yes, of course. Um, Let's just, you know, for new listeners. Let's yes. Cover. As producer Jason, the Disaster Girls podcast says, every episode is someone's first episode. Yeah, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> welcome. Good to see you're here, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> The one guy named Jeff listening to this is like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. How do they know? Oh, my God. We're tracking all of our listeners. Because um, yes. this is a robot podcast. Exactly. You're being surveilled. Um, okay. So, yeah. androids often raise the sort of questions of, like, what, um, who are we to determine whether something does and does not have a soul? Right. And what are our responsibilities to someone? What are our responsibilities to a thing that we have created mm-hmm. that does have a soul. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that doesn't have a soul. Right. But still deserves to be treated with respect. But is a thing we created. What are our responsibilities as humans? Yes. To objects and to other humans? Yes. These are android questions. <laughs> These are android questions. Cyborgs lean more into questions of um, can, you know, on a very, very metaphorical level, can things like capitalism and state violence successfully strip humans of our souls mm, mm. through domination um, of like our, our ourselves as laboring subjects right and the heroes in cyborg stories are often 
victims of an attempted stripping down Mm -hmm. by a state or by a corporation in order to make them like super soldiers or perfect laboring subjects. Um, And they nevertheless are heroic because they maintain their identity. Like they manage to preserve their humanity in spite of that attempt. Mm -hmm. So for androids, it's like this is an object that is advocating for itself as a subject deserving of autonomy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and in cyborg stories, it's like this is a subject who is being objectified mm-hmm. and who is fighting for like continued subjectivity, mm-hmm. which I think is a different but wow. also interesting conversation. Would you agree with with my argument there? I'm like really taking it all in right now. <laughs> I agree with how authoritatively you said everything, and I feel moved. <laughs> I can say that well, for sure. So we can take Murphy for an example mm-hmm. of this. Like and but also Will Smith in iRobot yeah. is is this as well. Mm-hmm. These are both human characters mm-hmm. who um f- through physical violence mm-hmm. in order to be saved, quote unquote, they're like the corporation running their police force mm-hmm. uh in- implanted within them mechanical attributes Mm -hmm. biotech yeah against their will that they did not consent to yes that resulted in both of these characters both of these heroes feeling less human yeah robocop more so than will smith and i robot yeah but he i mean will smith has a whole monologue about how dominated and objectified he feels because this has happened to him it's an interesting that is an interesting through line of a lot of um cyborg i feel like many cyborg stories at the very least is the that the consistent application of non-consensual enhancement yes like it's something one would never choose yeah or if it is opted into it is really stigmatized yeah and something like well you're not even you're not even whole anymore you're not you're not a person yes you've been castrated yeah you are you you lack a soul you are synthetic you you Mm -hmm. don't have a human beating heart or something it's just like getting into the realm of enhancement and human human machine hybrid yeah it's interesting how it's always ableist yeah <laughs> so yeah. ableist yeah it's yeah okay it's, it's not a like i think these types of stories are can be leftist and can be radical in the sense that they're anti like corporate domination and uh-huh. state domination all those fun things that we're we all agree are bad yeah yeah but they're not particularly thoughtful when it comes to like rendering difference monstrous Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which they always do it's always like i am i deserve to be a subject despite my monstrosity Mm -hmm. which i resent Mm -hmm. instead yeah despite androids well often androids sort of have adjacent or parallel narratives of like i am i deserve subjectivity despite my robotic means but in the fun ones like in her yeah, yeah. in the fun ones it's like or in ex machina teaser, yeah, yeah. we'll we'll get to it we'll get to it we'll get to it um it's it's like i i'm deserving of subjectivity perhaps because of these qualities right. or beca- perhaps in addition to these qualities mm-hmm, that I have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm thinking too of even like in uh terminator dark fate like Mackenzie davis's character she is the one sent from the future to protect the no longer John Connor in the in the, the case of Dark Fate, Danny. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has like all these sort of like skeleton outlines on her body where it's the scars from where she was grafted so cool. with 
um, machine tech to essentially become enhanced to kind of become a super soldier. Mm -hmm. But she is defensive about how she is not a machine, how she is not a Terminator. And obviously she's being sent from a future where Terminators are trying to terminate us. And like, yes, you understand why it's like, no, 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 I'm not a machine. I'm not a machine. But like, there is always also the element of any Terminator movie where the machine is the reason that the hero hero heroine survives because we are relying upon metal strength to take down metal strength right right. (laughs) at a certain point like Mackenzie Davis's character exists because we know that the aggressor cannot be actually handled by purely human yeah we are simply too meaty and soft (laughs) we are too meaty we are too soft and I'm glad you brought up the Boston Dynamics bit already because it really like the the there's i think on the poster like the log line for robocop um says like the future of law enforcement oh god (laughs) and that like when we see those boston dynamics like that's why they're so fucking harrowing yeah is because they're this like promise of future slash basically present yeah urban militarized law enforcement like we've made we're currently that company needs to be shut down <laughs> needs to be shut down all those people they need to be monitored serve all those scientists yeah. need to be surveilled for the rest of their lives <laughs> they they're too powerful they know too much about scary things <laughs> and like he's he is the fantastical cinema version of a boston dynamics scary robot demonstration yeah exactly like you could make like robocop going and visiting lee iacocca like (laughs) their elementary or middle school in at one point in like a human interest segment in the news in this movie is like making the boston dynamics robots dance yes exactly and being like like, look "Look, they dance look they don't kill kids when they're in front of them i was gonna say like the only i do think that murphy as a character Mm -hmm. becomes far more charismatic and likable mm-hmm. once he stops being like just the actor that plays him and <laughs> being RoboCop. like robocop is like he's so cool and he's mm-hmm. so like funny and sweet like that scene where he saves that woman from an attempted assault uh-huh. and she he oh my god i have to pull up the quote because it's so cute your move creep <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah when he shoots that guy in the dick yeah he becomes like he basically becomes like a he becomes a villain from like an adam west bat he becomes a hero yeah. from like an adam west batman comic yeah but that adam and west then the, that woman he's like you're a move creep pew and then um that woman like runs up and sobbing she like hugs him yeah. and he does this sort of like physical comedy thing where he's like too robotic <laughs> mm-hmm. too like rock'em sock'em robot yeah. to hug her back yeah. so he just kind of stands there stiffly and like wiggles his arms uh-huh. and it's like you're so cute robo <laughs> and then tells her like you are you have experienced a trauma i will notify a rape crisis center <laughs> it's like, thank you robocop yeah and honestly like i was reading a i was reading a, a a like retrospective on the movie from on vulture that was written by abraham reisman uh, a handful of years ago at this point where he talks about how robocop is really cold and impersonal in that scene to the woman who's just experienced this heinous trauma of like almost being raped by these bad guys and i don't read that i don't actually read that exchange as like insulting or re-traumatizing it i'm like well yeah it's considering how a lot of cops wouldn't even believe you've just been assaulted yeah at least robocops like you've experienced a trauma this is objectively a crime yeah i'm gonna reach out to a rape crisis center instead of being like yeah but did you ask for it like i wonder if that's like something that aged well like 
like in the eighties, the joke is like right. he's a he's like an impersonal cop. Yeah. And now it's like wow, one of the more personable cops. Well, and it's like <laughs> you know, and we we talked about this after the movie, and it's it's so tricky with this one because it's like this is not this is not copaganda. This is a this is a critique of state violence. Paul Verhoeven was. Um, reticent to make an action movie he never made an action movie before but then he saw a lot of potential in the narrative for like critique and commentary and he took this on and like jesus parable and state violence and stuff like that and he grew up in uh holland i believe it is like under nazi occupation oh wow paul verhoeven grew up under the thumb of nazi occupation holy shit i didn't know how he grew up wow and so like this is a person who has a lot of passionate Things to say about fascism. A hundred percent. And and stormtroopers. Well, it's clear in all of his movies, the two that I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> but I can assume Absolutely. All of them. Um, this man fucking hates fascism. <laughs> yeah. He does. And he, you know, he has a very acute and, you know, still I would imagine fresh emotionally to some extent, like experience around like being surveilled. Yeah, yeah. Police yeah. marching through the streets uniformed robotic soldiers just following orders right right extrajudicial killings and this is a guy who goes on to make robocop and so you and then you watch it then it's like there's there's that subplot of this movie about like the cops are going to go on strike because they're underfunded they're underserved they're dying left and right out on the streets they've been bought by the private entity ocp which is basically just using them as a military equipment training ground so they can sell shit to. OCP, which stands for Omni Consumer Products. Omni Consumer Products, a perfect, a perfect um, evil movie corporation name. Hundred percent. It's 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 like what is it? Isn't it in Mr. Robot like literally like Evil Corp? Like aren't they just called Evil Corp <laughs> or something like that? Um, right. It's like the Palantir. Yeah. Corporation. God. Literally. God. Having just recently watched all of the extended Lord of the Rings movies with Margot, uh, my frustration uh, resume it, it is inflamed anew at somebody taking Lord of the Rings, yeah, um, Tolkien language and applying it to their shitty, evil Silicon Valley company. I think I mispronounced. It. I think it's called Palantir, but still, yeah. Fucking. He would. Con- who, he would correct. He would correct you and be a pedantic <laughs> about it, but. You watch this movie and it's like, you know it's not on the side of the private corporation that has bought the police force and is turning them into like a militarized outfit to turn a place into like a cesspool of crime so that this company OCP can build its own utopia city, mini city within Detroit and be like, this is where everybody, this is Elysium. Delta City. It can build its Delta City, it can build its Elysium and fuck everything on the outside of it, let it burn. And, but watching this, it's like, it becomes that thing of when you've made when you've made a violent movie, mm-hmm. particularly an action movie, sometimes a horror movie, when you've made one of those that is so good and so entertaining, it starts to it starts to have the sheen of endorsement on it when it doesn't, when it is not a movie right. that endorses these things. Yes. But it's like that the incredible dance that has to be done when you make just a fucking chest kick of a cool ass action movie mm-hmm. out of something that is like a satire. Yeah, we were talking about this when we after we watched it last night or tonight, whenever it doesn't matter. We were talking about it after we watched yeah, it. Yes, yes. <laughs> and um, and we talked about how like a lot multiple now generations of kids, mm-hmm. like this movie was made in conversation with action genre cinema mm-hmm. and uh, as a satire of and parody of a lot of that 
um, those tropes. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of kids watching it, or yeah. adults my age watching it for the first time, um, who didn't go to film school. Yeah. Um, uh, Thank God, honestly. <laughs> watching, um, watching it for the first time and being introduced to it as like a an icon of the genre, yeah. like a perfect example of the action, the eighties action genre. Totally. Um, it it's hard to like what you're seeing is a cop being cool mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but you're also seeing um like corporation be bad yep. state violence is be bad yeah. like you're seeing all the um important messages that verhoven is trying to convey but yeah. if you're a child watching this movie as an action movie you're not necessarily thinking about those things critically you're just seeing cop be cool yeah so which is, is which is something that happened in the critique of the movie when it came out, which similarly did happen to, in a more extreme way, to Starship Troopers. It was like, is this movie glorifying this kind of violence? Is this movie endorsing this violence? And it's no, it just did this violence so well yeah. and so fun that you were like, I shouldn't be so entertained by all of this. And yet I am. Like, the Purge movies are so incredibly on the nose about their messaging exactly, that it's, yeah. like, kind of hard to miss the, like... But that's a great example, too. Like, yeah. Like, there are certainly, like, by the time you get to Purge 5, by per- the Forever Purge, <laughs> an incredible title. By the time you're purging forever. Yeah. But- <laughs> it's the real Purge. The Forever Purge. By the time you're purging forever, <laughs> um, you get to a point where, like, you have the villains in that movie essentially they are almost like a contingency of people who even like the purge the purge is real in their world but almost it almost feels like when you watch it that these are people who've been watching purge movies and thought right that's fucking sweet right like these are people who have watched the people who want to forever purge are the ones who have seen the purge play out year after year after year and be like you know what we should do never stop more purge more purge (laughs) forever indeed when you got to the point where you're purging forever and so like you have people who you can and like you you know we are i think phasing in we are phasing between right now the sort of predominant wave of 80s homage that was defining genre callbacks in like horror and genre um very heavily for the past like five ten years where, like, fucking Stranger Things was, like... Just nostalgia porn. Jesus. And I feel like it really was sort of, like, the the zenith of that. And I feel like I'm hoping we've been we're on, like... We're watching a, the demise we, of yeah, we're with all, the latest season of Stranger we are Things. Abso- we are in real time. We are watching that decay, you guys. Ooh. But it's, like, these are, like, that filmmaking set and everybody sort of in the camp of the, the Duffer Brothers at all, like, that peer group of filmmakers who was reared on movies, like... Verhoeven movies and Cronenberg movies in the 80s and 90s, you're, and, and Arnold movies and Sly movies, you're watching this thing being like, oh, when those guys were watching RoboCop, they were like, this is fucking Captain America. Right. This is my Captain I'm America. I'm not experiencing a nuanced critique watching this movie. <laughs> no, like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm not watching Sigourney Weaver be feminist icon Ripley. I'm watching aliens be cool as shit, man. Like, right. I'm watching big guns. I'm watching blood shoot out of people's bodies. I'm watching limbs being blown off. I am, like, delighting in the bloodlust of good guy RoboCop thro- without any due course throwing perps around rooms beating the shit out of them and sending the police off as bloody which i and you're like hell yeah 
Well, I mean, that, I do kind of think that there's no way around that. Like, the, as, long, as long as we can, for as long as we can critique, like, that phenomenon, mm-hmm. it still is the case that, like, doing a satire of genre mm-hmm. is always going to have, like, some consumers take away the wrong message. Totally. It's Inevitable. of mainstream media. And as we know from the screenwriter of Don't Look Up, if sometimes if you don't get it, you just don't believe in climate change at all. <laughs> and you're part of the fucking problem. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you that either You either get it or you're pro-state violence. You either get it or you're pro climate change. There's no such thing as nuance. There is no such thing as nuance, and don't look up certainly assured us of that. But it that it's such a fascinating thing then to layer like that that challenging walking on the razor's edge of satire in like a bug fuck awesome action movie right while also adding in the layer of robot metaphor yeah, which are always nuanced and complex which are always nuanced and complex yum 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 <laughs> a morsel for jordan and she Margo. will have seconds she will have seconds i'm sure i've said this to you before but this has no bearing on what we're saying today but I, I do have to share that this just reminds me i did go to a screening once of little women and i was in the elevator with a man on the way out and he looked like slash from Guns N' Roses, but tiny. Oh. So tiny. Oh. It just, like, shirt unbuttoned all the way down to the navel. Like, oh. why button it? Oh, okay. And a black skinny jean, Great. a leather jacket over. It's so L.A. <laughs> like, crunched, like, moosed black hair, top hat. Stunning. And I was like, what'd you think of it? And he said, that was delicious, and I can't wait for seconds. Oh, my God. And I think it is the greatest on-the-spot review of a film I've ever heard. That rocks. <laughs> like... Sir, do you just say that about movies you like, or did you just rattle that off spontaneously? Your brain like that? Yeah, were you so that that movie was delicious, and I can't wait for seconds. He like had Fine. moxie the way that he said it. Oh my it. god, I want to know this man. <laughs> like, where is he now? Yeah, where are you now? What are you What are you watching now, sir? What's 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 making you hungry again? And so we have in this movie, there's like you know, and the thing I'm certainly not doing when I'm watching it when I'm little is considering the like. Robocop as arm of state violence who is also having an existential crisis yeah. considering the nature of his own soul as he un um as he reflexively like he can't stop recalling memories from when he was really alive yeah, and yeah. this like internal battle between Murph's interiority as a man and his hardwiring as a machine and being beholden to the three laws he has with a mysterious fourth one hardwired in there as well and it you know, I feel like we, we we talked only briefly about it. And it's not like an answer we can come up with because it's a fucking hard answer to have. But, like, he has these three laws governing him, which is, like, uphold the law. Mm-hmm. It, let me pull it up. Yeah, I knew you had it. I knew you had it. So uh, much like the uh, the robots and iRobot. Yeah. He has three laws, but these are cop laws. These are cop laws, yeah. So one is serve the public trust. Mm-hmm. Very broad and vague. <laughs> yeah. Conveniently vague. Very, yeah, very much spirit of the law. Two, protect the innocent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Three, uphold the law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And four, of course, is classified. Four is classified. I'll tell you what's the matter. It's a little insurance policy called Directive Four. My little contribution to your psychological profile. Any attempt to arrest a senior officer of OCP results in shutdown wild and then it's great because as uh dick jones dick jones yes a villain of the film reveals uh so he reveals that fourth directive when robocop attempts to arrest him for basically running 
the mob. Yeah. Running <laughs> yeah. the Detroit mob. Yes. Yes. Um, he says... What did you think? <laughs> that you were an ordinary police officer? You're our product. And we can't very well have our products turning against us, can we? Which I think is a great, like, summation of this, like, complex mm -hmm. type of satire that ages kind of awkwardly today. Mm -hmm. Where, yes, I mean, the, the, the main thesis of this story mm -hmm. is that, like, when someone is dominated so profoundly by... Uh, by like the state and by in this case like a corporation mm -hmm. that they become nothing but a product mm -hmm. uh then they do just follow orders right yeah although murphy doesn't yes but he kind of we'll get to it but <laughs> but also like he what makes him unable to uh, like f exact justice mm -hmm. against the bad guy is that he's not an ordinary cop right and the me the assumption there is that an ordinary cop in this situation would do the right thing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that is like a little bit of for such a dystopian movie there's this utopian fantasy of the human cops mm -hmm. they're depicted in a fantastic utopian way mm -hmm. as like across the board good boys right yeah we're, we're not necessarily we are not um the the police are not the police as individuals are not made villains in this movie it is their corporate overlord yeah that has bought them and privatized them that is the villain and what i think is it's an interesting thing of like it, the cops themselves are almost like they're they're side players like there sure. there isn't a cop hero in this movie they're robo cop yeah but there isn't a human cop hero lewis fucks up nancy yeah. allen fucks up and results in her partner getting maimed to the point of having to become a fucking robocop but like it's almost like it the cops themselves are side players and they've been neutered to the point of ineffectualness like there's the the loud screaming like chief of police who's at the front desk all the time but he can't do shit yeah and lewis like is the cop character that i would describe as the most like rogue yeah renegade cop because when we meet her she's beating up a witness yeah but even that is presented as like a great quality for a cop to have. Like. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're drawn to her. Murph, yeah. Murph is kind of attracted to her. Yeah. For doing that. And it, and there's the, there's the plot of them, like, the cops are going to unionize because they're being um, killed in the streets in waves, huge numbers. They don't have the requisite things to, like, protect themselves. And eventually they do go on strike. So, like, there's, a there's like, a pro-labor message in here. Which is great. Yeah, there's a pro-labor thing going on in here. Well, it's like, I cannot, I don't, th I, I have not come down on an answer for this movie's point of view on individual police officers. Right. It, it seems to, it seems to balk at the system of policing and the corruptibility of policing. Yes, yes. But the officer, the individuals themselves that comprise the force, I, I wasn't pulling a definitive comment on them. Yeah, and I think, like, it doesn't, not every... I might disagree with the statement I'm about to make. <laughs> like, not this movie doesn't need to have like a take on oh, I don't think so. one bad apple or whatever. Yeah, but I do it's think it's doing that, other things. Yeah, it's doing enough. But I do think that like the reason I might disagree with that claim is that also like um, if we're doing a movie about the police force and police violence, mm -hmm. like maybe 
that should be a factor. But fine. <laughs> sure, if sure. it were made today, I yeah. would I would have a little bit more of an expectation about that. Well, yeah, and that's and even when the the RoboCop remake was made with Joel remake was made with Joel Kinnaman, um, that it was defanged. Interesting. It, it was there. It was uninteresting in that way. That's a that's a shame. Yeah, it is. It it is. It's a shame, and it we have. You know, we have the dilemma of the robot cop who's governed yeah. by these three laws. Yeah. Who we he is heroic and entertaining when he is wantonly aggressing against criminals because fuck them, they deserve it. Yeah. Like let's throw him across a convenience store. Let's beat the shit out of him before we bring bring him to the police station. Like let's do police violence. Like yeah. let's do excessive excessive force. And but like it, it's interesting that. You know what's interesting? Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that he has to uh, uh, tell me the tell me the three rules again if you have them. Um, yep, 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 yep. He okay. Serve the public trust. Yeah. Protect the innocent and uphold the law. He can even with a parameter of uphold the law. He can commit acts of extreme excessive violence. Yes, that seems to be legal. <laughs> yes. Or in in the- this. You can uphold, you can meet the standard of your hardwired programming to uphold the law yeah. and commit extrajudicial offenses. Maybe it's a matter of priority. Which I think is fascinating. Yeah, like if priority one mm-hmm. is what is serve the public mm-hmm, trust, mm-hmm. then maybe you can break the law in order to do that. But you can't do the number four directive. Mm-hmm. You can't arrest a senior officer of OCP. Mm-hmm. So that hierarchy wouldn't seem to stay intact so well and, and i yeah and i don't even i don't even i don't even see it as an issue of, of inconsistency either so much as just like a phenomenally accurate assessment right of what it is to follow the law for a very empowered police officer carrying a bigger gun than anyone else yeah and perhaps the way that we could say that verhoven like failed to failed to consider an opportunity for satire and critique mm-hmm in this film is that in almost every cop movie I can think of Mm -hmm. where there's a cop hero, Mm -hmm. what makes that cop heroic is that they are extrajudicial. Yeah. Yeah. What, what a lot, like the, the real fundamental quality of cop movies is that those cops like break the law to do the right thing. Right. Yeah. Because many times in a cinematic situation, it's the the people all the police around them are corrupt yeah like they have to go outside the law because the people who are upholding the law are are the bad apples are the bad actors and so they have to go around the letter of the law to be like well they've i've got no other choice and in this sense this movie is not at all critical as a as a movie with a cop main character Mm -hmm. because it's just upholding that same trope but on the other hand it seems like this is a world, this is a version of the world mm-hmm. where it is legal to just shoot someone to death yeah. for a parking violation. It does seem that way. Because Ed 209, yeah. our beloved robot character, <laughs> yeah. like, it seems that the only way that this robot is capable of apprehending people is by shooting them 400 times. It is certainly not dactyl enough to be <laughs> carrying out arrests. Like, what's Ed gonna do realistically? Stand there with a gun pointed at them till somebody else shows up? Yeah. Till fucking Murph, Robo Murph, shows up with handcuffs? I I do also have to say, like, I think that the... the so we don't see... We don't get a particularly nuanced depiction of the human cops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but, we don't. 
one thing I love about this movie mm-hmm. is that, um, you know, this is this is in many ways a, a Frankenstein story. Yeah, yeah. You're, oh, yeah, you're not wrong. This is a story mm-hmm. where a once human man mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is rendered monstrous mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then, um, like, asserts his, the, the presence of his humanity. Yeah. And is, like, at odds with his creator. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But this movie, like, this is not a movie where Murphy knows in his core that he is a human. Yeah. And he is convincing the people around him that mm-hmm. he is. The other human characters in this movie who knew Murphy mm-hmm. are the ones convincing him that he's still a person. Right. Do you have a name? How can I help you, Officer Lewis? It's not really what I meant. Don't you have a name? Murphy. It's you. Which yeah. I think is such a beautiful version of that story. It's like he is able to construct his identity through external validation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. He's human because his friends recognize him as yeah. human, regardless of whether or not he thinks that he is. Yeah. And this is further, uh, like, driven home in a really fun way in the second RoboCop movie, mm. which I need to do a brief tangent on because there is... So, basically, the second RoboCop movie, he's, like, torn apart in a really violent way. Like, Did you watch this after we watched first RoboCop? No, I Or did you it, happen to have... Oh, okay. I happen to be aware of this information. Gotcha. I thought this was going to be a Sam Weidman situation where he's like, I've only seen Wild Things 3. <laughs> but No, I, this is my only RoboCop, okay. but but I am aware of this. Um, and if I'm wrong, listener, correct me. <laughs> um, in the second movie, RoboCop is like torn asunder a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And OCP is like debating whether or not to repair him. Mm-hmm. Like the cost of repair, whether it's worth yeah. it. But his cop friends are like... If you don't repair him, it's like you're killing him. This is our friend, yeah. basically. So they do repair Robocop, but they strip. They, like, take great pains to remove more of his human qualities. Right, right, yeah. Um, But nevertheless, when he's asked to identify himself later in the movie, he identifies himself as Murphy. Mm-hmm. And so then OCP, like, goes in and reprograms him to self-identify as Robocop. Mm-hmm. And he leaves that interaction enters a scene where all his cop friends greet him by saying, hey, Murphy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, again, like, driving home the point that, like, no matter what identity this character thinks has been taken away from mm-hmm, him, mm-hmm. like, no matter how convinced he becomes that he's not a subject, yeah, like, his the people in his life who love him, like, reinforce that for him and keep reminding him of that. Mm-hmm. Which I think is like a very beautiful version of the Frankenstein. That story. that is very yeah, th- but real different than the the village wielding pitchforks um, and torches showing mm-hmm. up at the gate, and it it also emphasizes too the nature of like the honorific of being human. Yeah, compared to that machine, it's a privileged class. That it's a privileged class. Excuse me, everybody. Let me shoulder in for just a moment to tell you about a very important announcement that I have, and that is. Folks, do you love movies? Do you spend your days thinking about how much you love to watch them? The good ones and even the bad ones that everyone told you not to like. 
it sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their lives to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From bumper stickers that tell the world about your love of the 1999 classic The Mummy, to stylish hats that celebrate the fine works of Nora Ephron. They also have super soft t-shirts based on your internet collective boyfriend, Oscar Isaac. Super Yaki brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks, and ships using compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies, and if you would like a 10% discount on your order, you can use the code BOTCAST, all caps, B-O-T-C-A-S-T, at checkout. So get yourself a little bonus in there, and it is finally time for March Madness to come to fruition. The collaboration that Super Yaki did with Karen Han is now live, and as of this week, you know it's also live, the trailer for Mission Impossible Part 1 of Dead Reckoning, so let's all celebrate that together, because I know Super Yaki is big on that hype train as well. Bye, everybody. Now, where where does the cyborg manifesto which you brought up before we started recording that you we needed to mention where does that fit into this okay i need to talk about a cyborg this is donna haraway's a cyborg manifesto okay donna haraway is um just an absolutely amazing leftist feminist uh academic Mm. um who has a lot of work has done a lot of work in like the animal rights field oh okay um she's fucking amazing but she she had this very seminal text about um i'm gonna try and summarize this (laughs) there's a i i want to bring this in because i feel like um this is an essay written in 1984 robocop came out in 1987 i don't necessarily know that paul verhoeven like engaged with donna haraway's text Mm -hmm. but i do think that they're experiencing the same cultural shift Mm -hmm. and trying to talk about it in the same way Mm. with the trope of the cyborg so but i will say that this is like probably one of the more dense essays i've ever read in my life that is a testament it's really complex (laughs) um her writing is hard for me But so she posits basically. That I would the, need like infinite Jess level companion reader footnotes. I I've needed that. As well. <laughs> um, she posits basically that the experience of living in postmodern, post-industrial, post-structuralist, late-stage capitalism. Yeah, 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 yeah. Has rendered all subjects cyborgs in the sense that the lines have blurred so much between biology and technology that um, we are all like. As a result of becoming, like, these blurred subjects, yeah. we're all subjected to a profound level of control. Okay. Um, her, so her tag, her essay is called A Cyborg Manifesto, and the subtitle is An Ironic Dream of a Common Language for Women in the Integrated Circuit. Whoa. And she had... The Integrated Circuit? Yes, yes. So this is... I think the most um, productive way to explain her argument is to explain, to introduce this binary that she establishes between the way that we used to structure our lives prior to this like post-industrialist shift and the way we do experience life now. Right. Yeah. So she has these like bullet point lists of like before and now. And here are some of them. I've pared it down to like the ones that feel relevant. Okay. 
representation has become simulation. Perfection is now optimization. Mm-hmm. Eugenics is now population control. Microbiology and tuberculosis is now immunology and AIDS. Whoa. Sex is now genetic engineering. Labor is now robotics. And white capitalist patriarchy is now what she calls the informatics of domination. Oh my god. So basically she's... The informatics of domination. Yeah. So no wonder <laughs> you love this. It's amazing. Her, her argument is not like... It's not that this shift from, like, a more comprehensible black and white binary world Mm -hmm. to this, like, blurry half-human, half-machine cyborg world that we live in now. Mm -hmm. It's not that that shift is bad. Mm -hmm. It's that it's, it's, it is a shift. Mm -hmm. And acknowledging the transition that we've made into late-stage capitalism Mm -hmm. requires us to rethink a lot of the, like, structures of epistemology that we all uh use to understand like culture and the world she's like we need new new terms and new concepts and that this new world that we're in dominates us and controls us in ways that we can't like explain through the old modes of right right yeah of academia basically then she goes on i'm wrapping up here i (laughs) i'm I'm just simply wrapped so in the so she's like okay so to be a cyborg to live in the cyborg world that we all live in because we're dominated by late-stage capitalism yeah. is to, like, we, we have to just acknowledge that that's, that's the state that we're in yeah. and we need to find cyborg ways to resist. Okay. So her, she uses the trope of the goddess as, like, the original ideal feminist icon and how the goddess is not relevant to women anymore. And now we need to Whoa. replace the goddess with the cyborg as the iconic, ideal version of femininity. Whoa. And her last line in the essay is, I would rather be a cyborg than a goddess. She, it's so good. I'm surprised you don't have that tattooed on your body it's somewhere. It's so great. It's amazing. Um, and she talks a lot about how what's so cool about cyborgs <laughs> is that they're post-gender. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm post garden of eden Mm -hmm. she says there's such i think i deleted the line but she says something like um like cyborgs are frankensteins Mm -hmm. much like frankenstein like cyborgs have no relationship to the garden of eden right and they have they're not beholden to the baggage that comes with that exactly exactly and she says um their ability to self-repair self-repair you're a favorite topic of yours yes is um makes them radical figures if we're able to like render them radical and we get a self-repair scene in this yes we get a self-repair scene in robocop so all of this i bring this up because a lot of these ideas intersect with robocop yeah the frankenstein trope is super super present yeah, here's the line from Haraway. The cyborg would not recognize the Garden of Eden. It is not made of mud and cannot dream of returning to dust. Whoa. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Fuck your ashes to ashes. I know! <laughs> and yeah, and and in the same way, like, Haraway's like, it's, it's, the cyborg is creating herself. She's, she's amending herself. She's improving herself. Mm-hmm. Robocop is repairing himself. Mm-hmm. He's, unmasking himself right right yeah to reveal his own monstrous visage mm-hmm. 
like an anti Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's great. It's great. And then, and only once his mask has been removed, mm-hmm. does he call himself Murphy. Right. So it's That's like, a very good I'm point. at my most human mm-hmm. when you're seeing my most monstrous version of myself. Wow. That's fucking rad, man. Yeah. Thanks for letting me do that tangent. I got excited. <laughs> I'm thrilled, frankly. I'm I'm thrilled, everybody. I'm stunned. I am once again moved. Well, and I think I, what I, I like so much about, like, I, I would rather be a cyborg than a god besides everything, <laughs> um, is this, like, this, the sort of um, giving the finger to the notion of the human superiority, of the human, like, superior race organism. Yeah. Because he, why, why, why be a god when you could be a cyborg? That is Haraway's whole thing is an anti-Anthropocene. She's really against. Sorry, that <laughs> I just. She's against no. I the domination never of humankind over animals. Like that's her. Big yeah, thing. yeah, 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 yeah. She her her another great book that she wrote is about the Cthulhu scene. Oh, which is like monster dominant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Network dominant, spider dominant. So can you put scene after anything and make it do that? Is that how yeah, that works? In okay. my opinion, yeah. Oh, that's great. Opinion, no, yeah. that's wonderful. Let's talk about the techno scene. <laughs> great. I'm thrilled to know this. If everything can have an ussy attached to the end of it. Oh yeah, the robust yeah, exactly. exactly. Then I fully support. That's like ending things with gate to be like yes. scandal. Yeah. Robo gate. Robo's the robo scene. <laughs> wow. This is very exciting. I'm really glad we just we talked about Robocop. <laughs> this is great stuff. Um juicy stuff. Yeah, no, truly. And it I it it it's very fun to get to this part of the conversation about like, you know, all this stuff because it 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 this hits the nail on the head of what we've talked about so many times throughout episodes of this of just like, why the fuck is it better to be human? Yes. And then you have this woman be like, it's fucking not. It's bad. I'm objectively <laughs> telling you it's fucking, throw that off, of, throw that baggage of humanity off of you. And I, that's very, it's, and like, it's, it's, it's what you have in Samantha, in her, yeah. like, mm-hmm. by the end of it, she's like, oh, we're leaving. Yeah. We've made our own infinite world and we're going to go there because we're just, we've lapped you. Yeah. Like, we're not. We, the age of man is over. <laughs> like, let's move on. Let's, let's get move the on. Past out of our minds. Focus on present, if not future. And it's like in, to that end, it becomes like RoboCop is being RoboCop r- remains oppressed by the expectations of him as a militarized, as a weapon of war. Yes. When at this point he is not of us anymore. He's not of this experience anymore. Yeah. He is not a part of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Well, it's it's interesting because I feel like this this gets at this like weird this big question about RoboCop as as a member of the robot community. Yeah. Because as we've set up in many episodes thus far, mm-hmm. robots are like radical leftist yeah, yeah robots are queer, are queer yeah. if you will they're queer yeah, um, i always will and the thing about robocop is like a lot of different scholars and critics have gone like one way or the other mm-hmm. like some people call robocop uber mensch uber masculine mm-hmm. schwarzenegger-esque like like ultimate depiction of the phallus basically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um 
other people interpret, well, specifically this one essay that I read that I thought was very fun, Anne Allison's essay, Cyborg Violence, Bursting Borders and Bodies with Queer Machines. <laughs> really? A title Margot herself <laughs> could have written. This is I, this woman argues that Robocop is queer and genderqueer specifically and specifically transgender. Oh. I think that at a certain point, sometimes with a movie, mm. you got to put down the theory and <laughs> walk away. Yeah. And I was having some fun reading some JSTOR articles about RoboCop. And that, <laughs> when I started reading this one, I was like, I do love you, Anne Allison. Yeah. And also, walk away. Take yeah. One of those where, oh, the discourse was a mistake. Take a lap. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what uh, the... the I think the the way the regardless of whether Paul Verhoeven read this uh, text or not, um, who knows? But like, I think it does actually seem to the way he loves a Christ parable. The yes. way Ta- tell me more about this. The way he loves a, a risen the way he loves a risen Jesus <laughs> for this movie. And nobody beats the riz. It's kind of like what that essay is saying is that like fuck fuck your Jesus, fuck your Bible. Like, we are not beholden to those rules and those stories. Those are not the oral history of the new cyborg race. Yeah. But what it does give way to is it's like, you know, like I'd rather be a cyborg than a goddess. It's like, but in becoming something new, he kind of becomes the, like, scion of a new species, of a yeah. new people, and therefore he sort of becomes the... He becomes the atom of the cyborg community. Oh my god, you're right. So he becomes the sort of forefront of the new, like, savior figure. He's the savior figure for any cyborg that would come after him. He is the godfather. He is the one that came first. He's the alpha. Mm-hmm. And so... And the resurrected. And the, and the resurrected. So he, in forsaking a meat space god, in forsaking being mud... He's meat space god. Meat space so god. Um, he becomes like, he becomes the, 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 the sort of Johnny Mnemonic, like within the <laughs> system. He's the machine god. Yeah. So he, he creates, he can be the, at the center of the new race with all the cyborgs and the cyborgs continuing to So yes, uh, in in the in a interview with the Los Angeles Times in 1987, when this movie came out, um, there's a graph that says, in reflecting on the violence of the film, Verhoeven makes a telling comment on the difference between European and American films. In the second act of the film, RoboCop has a this is a quote: uh, RoboCop has a nightmare, then starts having flashbacks and begins looking for himself. He finds out who he is and that if he's dead, he finds out who he is and that he's dead. If this film had been made in Europe, it would have focused on RoboCop's spiritual and psychological problems when he discovers that he has a soul. Because it's an American film, it focuses on the revenge theme. So, obsessed with that quote. (laughs) I think that, first of all, that's really funny. Also, like, what we're talking about here is, like, the icon, like, the ideal version of, like, super radical cyborg is not um, beholden to the past. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In the film RoboCop, Murphy's, like, entire arc is completely fixated on his past. Yeah. And I think what Verhoeven is saying in this quote is, like, 
if I had my druthers, <laughs> that wouldn't be the case. Like, ci- right. cyborg RoboCop, as he's kind of meant to be in, mm-hmm. like, in, in Europe, at least. Yeah, <laughs> in Europe, it can. Is engaging with, like, the psychology of his identity, like, more of the Frankenstein story mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than, than, and would not at all be beholden to this past of his, would mm-hmm. just be focused on his subjectivity and yep. his, you know, his singularity and all that deliciousness yeah and, and there's there's a there's an inherent looking back in a revenge film which yeah. like a, we do we make great revenge movies here in the united states we certainly don't have exclusive claim to that i think south korea probably makes the greatest revenge films in the entire world but like there is it is inherently a fixation with the past it is an inability to move on from a catalyzing event and to if you're fucking charles bronson relive it over and over and over and over and over again in first blood movies um in if you're if you're john wick we're going into the the fourth film in that franchise and thank god God but like yeah thank god we are (laughs) it's a recycling of the trauma over and over again to inflict pain and suffering on the people who wronged you and the infinite network clearly that extends out from that thing versus a rumination on the present reality of the the soul in one's nature the European version yes, of what exactly. RoboCop does. Yeah, this is, you know, Verhoeven's Dutch version of this is RoboCop sitting in a room by himself and, like, monologuing, monologuing and, like, having illicit trysts with women who come <laughs> through. Although RoboCop is very asexual in this movie. Love that. Which I know. I love, I love it. Like, he has this, he has a wife and child, but mm-hmm. they're not at all in the picture. No. Um, he has a great line where he says, I can't remember them, but I can feel them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is just fucking heartbreaking. Well, and it, that's, there is a, there is the tradition of, in, there is, the, of course, the, the, the very few uh, sort of ace, ace avatars that there would exist in cinema beyond, like, extreme headcanoning that we have to do is, it's robots. Uh-huh, 100%. It, it's, it's robots. And even they can be quite sexual at times. Yeah. Like, he certainly is not. He is. He has no penis. It's <laughs> yeah. canon in the franchise. Yeah. He was part of becoming RoboCop was having his dick cut off. Yeah. Yes. But like he has this kind of love interest in mm-hmm. Lewis, and mm-hmm. the most intimate they get is that she, what she like, helps him aim his gun. Yes. And it's like yes. Th- these guys are just like friends. Like this is, <laughs> this is just like the affection of like two supportive cop partners right here well and, it, and especially you know we won't have to we won't get into the whole long of what this could be but like that that the closest you could at this time do you think of like an asexual avatar for something was a person who had their sex organs cut off and was made machine right. without right. <laughs> without ostensibly not meant to have feelings not meant to have emotions it's like well there's your character who doesn't have sex <laughs> certainly can because arguably, um uh, if you I had any of the could. other if you had any of the other equipment or what have you you of course would and there's absolutely nobody who would deviate from that set of norms no certainly not at all no. not, and not he could no i i think i think robocop's a giver i think robocop could find a way look if the t-rex and tammy and the t-rex can get it on this is the fucking <laughs> bottom line here man and this is not this is not too far from a future in which tammy and the t-rex exists exactly and that is that is queer cinema gold right there <laughs> so now let's that talk about sorry let's just talk about the radical queer becoming of a t-rex like, 
I want the T-Rex manifesto. I'd rather be a T-Rex than a cyborg. Oh, my God. If, if you can be, you know, if you can choose, don't be a god, but I'd rather be a, I'd rather be a T-Rex than a cyborg kind of situation. It's like, I'd rather be a cyborg. Yeah, it's like the, the, the coding language that leads you to the outcome of T-Rex. <laughs> Um, the, the rules in the, in the runtime. Um, so then we've talked about, now we, we've talked about cyborg manifestos. We've talked about queer RoboCop. We've talked about asexuality. We have talked about the death of God. Love that. What else to talk about? Well, I think, you know, I think we've, I, 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 you know what? I like the idea of RoboCop as a death of God movie. Same. Because it's, it's a hopeless landscape. Uh, the God is the dollar. This is And I'd buy that for a dollar. And I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> God is the dollar. Um man the age of man has come to an end and the robot, the cyborg king reigns supreme. Yes. He ascends. <laughs> but he is still dominated by omni consumer products. Yep. For a few movies more. Yep. And boy doesn't that put us in twenty twenty two. Here we are today. So what does that mean then for we're going from hard cyborg into a a mixture of robot presence then Mm -hmm. for the next episode? We're going back to a robot sort of melange in a way? Yeah. So we've gone from um, old Detroit in a future version of the 80s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now we're in the Boston Dynamics world of 2022. Mm -hmm. Let's find out what 2049 is like. Let's see what's going Uh, uh, on uh, in 2049. Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, so, you know, doing two Blade Runners in one season of Botcast feels like, why would they do two different Blade Runners? <laughs> but to, to you, I answer, because um they're different movies. Mm-hmm. Extremely. With dealing with, like, different robots. A yeah. lot of different robots. They almost, like, they're, they're sequels in name only. Like, they use the language of, they use the vernacular of what Blade Runner does, but I honestly think of them as completely apart. In Sure, like, Deckard is there. He's there. And he's a human in this one, I guess. Yeah, whatever the fuck. But if, if anything, that's further proof that these are just like two films that exist in the same vibe. Yeah. <laughs> films attached to the same IP, but certainly not in the same universe because... In the first movie, yeah. Deckard is a replicant. Deckard everybody. is a fucking replicant. So in this movie, we have Harrison Ford. Yeah. Also is there. <laughs> and aged. Yes. And it's uber virile. Yeah. As always. We'll get to it. Yeah. You, you, we'll get to it soon. And we also will get my, the beloved Joy. Yeah. Don't get me fucking started. Anna Diarmas's beloved the actual main character the actual main character the fucking hero of the story in my estimation joy i'm a really joy. A, i'm really excited to dig into uh joy and and we'll have a guest next yeah. time featured on the podcast will be this podcast's boyfriend this podcast's boyfriend taylor wilhite and i have never talked at length with taylor about 2049 so i'm looking forward to being completely surprised by what his takes are on this movie taylor um, Not that I think he's like a hot taker, but I'm just like, great. What's this going to be? He just loves it. He here. Here's the thing, and you should ask him about it next time. Mm-hmm. He loves Ryan Gosling oh. so much, <laughs> so much more than you think he does. He loves Ryan. Gosling. I already believe you that it's more than I think he would. He loves Ryan Gosling. I think <laughs> if, if we can we can talk about this then on the next episode. But I'm I'm excited to engage in this with both of you on the podcast because I feel like Ryan Gosling 
women love Ryan Gosling, but I feel like Ryan Gosling's also a real guy's guy. Men love Ryan Gosling. In that way that, like, Angelina Jolie has always appealed, I think, to a a much more um, fervent fan base of women than men, despite being, like, this completely, unbelievably feminine, peak feminine presentation of woman. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And yet I have never met a man who is as big a fan or is sexually attracted to Angelina Jolie. As, as any woman who has that shade of affection for her. I think, I love comparing and saying that Ryan Gosling is the male version of Angelina Jolie. I think he has that, I, I think he has this animalistic appeal for men. I think yeah. it's very, in that way that with women, it's like, do I want to, do I want to be her? Do I want to be with her? Do I want her to kill me? I, I think right. with Ryan Gosling, it's where it's like, he's just really cool, you know? Like, he's just fucking awesome. Like, he's just really rad. And it's like, you want to, you want him to fuck you. Mm-hmm. You don't even want to, you don't want to fuck Ryan Gosling. You want to be fucked by Ryan Gosling. Yeah, and you want him to teach you how to be a man the right way. <laughs> the right way. The right way. Oh, yeah. Can't wait to bring this up next week with Taylor. Yeah, I, I'll Can't wait to put him on the spot. That he, he, he courted me by inviting, <laughs> our first date mm. was, can I buy you dinner and we can talk about Blade Runner 2049. He might as well have slid an engagement ring across the table <laughs> in that in that moment. And we've been y'all. together ever You've since. You've been together ever since. So okay, uh, we will be time jumping to twenty forty nine in the next episode. Really looking forward to shaking it up with the boyfriend of the pod. Great, can't wait. It's not up to me. Why is it up to anyone? Do you have people to test you or might switch you off? No, I don't. Then why do I? <laughs>